All right. Well, good morning. And it does feel just slightly more normal having some rows. It's very refreshing. So yeah, work with us. You know, give us grace, right? We're trying to figure out the best way to have outdoor, indoor, heat, all the different elements, live stream, you know. So, you know, it's the year of like open-handedness, right? Just, hey, you know, just go with it a little bit because, uh, yeah, things are going to be moving around. So just so work with us on that. So this morning, if you didn't know, today is Mother's Day. Okay, it's Mother's Day. So we can give a little, little clap for some moms if you want to. Yeah, so, so here's the deal. So it's Mother's Day, okay? So there's, there's, there's three groups I want to address. We're going to pray, and then we'll get, get into our time and the word together. But the first group is, is for moms. We just, we just thank you. Like, I am actually a believer in Jesus because of my mom and my dad, right? He, they were both a part of that. But my mom was a big part of that. Uh, as one of the you know primary voices in the home, my mom is a part of our church. I don't know if you know that. If you if you've been around, maybe you know who she is, but I won't call her out if she you know to to put her on the spot. But um, but my mom and my grandmother is also a believer, right? Like that's part of why I'm a believer is my grandma's faith. So so I just want to say to moms, my wife is here as well, and she you know disciples our kids and you know pours into them gospel life. Um, if I talk too much, I'm gonna get emotional, but um, so we want to thank our moms. Uh, they, they have loved us. Even you, you folks who are here who maybe didn't have moms who, who were perfect or the best or were hard at times or were difficult at times, our moms have poured a lot into us, right? They've loved us and poured our, their lives into us, and so we want to make sure that we reach out to them, we love on them. But there's also a second group. Some of you have lost your moms, right? That you know, You've lost them recently, and, and you love them very dearly. Um, my hope actually is that our sermon today will be a, an encouragement to a lot of you, right? We're talking about the new heavens and the new earth this morning. Um, and so we can, we can rejoice um, for what's ahead. But, but I, I just want to say, man, we, we are sorry with you. And, but it's also a day to celebrate all that mom, whether you've lost her or she's here, uh, has been to you. And then the third group is those of you who really want to be moms, right? What a, what a beautiful, noble desire um, to, to want that. I know some of you, I know a lot of our friends that we have walked through infertility with, you know, just have this deep, deep longing for that. And it's a good, beautiful desire. And we, we, um, we walk with you. We love you. We appreciate you and know that God, uh, man, he delights, right? As we've even heard in Isaiah, right? Uh, how he is going to take all uh, people and we all, and you know, all the moms, I think people who want to be moms, there's that the, the song where he says, oh, barren one, you know, you who will have many children, uh, in the kingdom, right? The sons and daughters that we have as followers of Jesus because we have this family of faith, right? So I just want to encourage you that God is with you and loves you. Let me pray for the moms and the, and the people who want to be moms, and, uh, and then we'll dive into the text together. Lord, we do praise you for how our mothers have shaped us, um, how they have poured into us and they have loved us, even those who gave us an imperfect form of that love, Lord, even those who have wounds from mom, Lord, they, they still have this role of, of being a part of our lives and bringing us to this world and you, Lord, and your grace. Love them, and we praise you for, for moms this morning. Pray that we would, um, we would remember and celebrate all that, that has been given to us um, that was not earned by us, uh, all the things that we didn't deserve that our moms in grace gave to us and cared for us. So we love you, Lord. We praise you. For mothers this morning and bless our time. And I pray for the moms as we get into the word. Would, would, this, would this text be especially encouraging for moms of all ages um, as we dive into your word? We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. 
Amen. All right, so, so here's my question for us this morning. What are you looking forward to? What are you looking forward to? So, so there's some kind of numerous ways where you can uh, see that, uh, understand that question. Sorry, I'm looking at my kids. You guys need to get up here and get to mom. Come on, come on. Yeah, come on down. Yeah, mom's up here in the front or go up in the balcony or wherever you're going. Yeah, okay. Um, those are my kids, speaking of Mother's Day. Um, so, uh, so what are you looking forward to? I am personally looking forward to my beach vacation, right? It's summertime, right? It's summertime and the weather's fine, right? So we are looking forward to the beach. What are you looking forward to? And here's, the, here's kind of the caveat question. And then how does that shape how you spend your days? How does what you're looking forward to shape how you spend your now, right? So, so if, if vacation really is all that we get our money's worth for, it won't just be this thing that we go to for a week, but it actually, in a healthy way, can be something that um, sweetens uh, our days now as we expect what's to come. Like, I don't know about you, but when I think about the beach, there's probably at least two ways probably multiple ways, maybe an infinite amount of ways to approach this, right? But, but one way is to make it sweet. And some of you are like, you know, more mad, right? Because you're like, oh, I'm not at the beach. And if I could just be at the beach, life would be better. Get out of my way. I'm angry because I'm not at the beach, right? Um, oh, that Christians would not be this way. Oh, that we would be those who look ahead and we take what is to come and we let it sweeten our now. This is what Isaiah had in mind, and certainly this is what the Holy Spirit had in mind. So open your Bibles with me. We are going to start in Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. And the cool thing about setting the stage for Isaiah 65 is I really don't have to, right? We, <laughs> we, I've had to set the stage and set the, the contextual nuance so many times, but here's, here's, the, here's the context you need. You got God's people who've been through a lot, and now God is saying, hey, there's some stuff coming, and, and you can be excited for what's ahead. And, and we'll kind of drill into that some as we, as we work our way through this text. So, so just a, a little caveat. So Isaiah 65 and Isaiah 66, if you've been here the last few weeks, um, there's, there's always this disturbing reality where, where they don't quite tie up the narratives like we do in our narratives in our day. Hebrew literature is different, right? They, they, they tie up their narratives in things like chiasms, which is a way of saying they arrange their texts, right, where it kind of goes and they make a middle point and then they work their way back. So sometimes you get to the end of a book and you're like, like when, I, when you're reading Isaiah, you get to the end of Isaiah and you're like, wait, that's it? Like that's the end. Like there's no like, Right, because they don't write them like Westerners do. They write them like like Israelites do. They have different style, different ways they emphasize, which we have done. We've talked about all this. But what we get here is we get this beautiful invitation, but it's intermixed. So if you read the text, you'll be a beautiful section, and then there'll be judgment, and then beauty, and then judgment. And so in some ways, we can't really separate them out. Part of what is ahead involves judgment, and it needs to. And we'll even, it'll be sprinkled in through our, through our text this morning. So we prayed for moms. Let me pray for our time in the text. And then I'm going to ask a favor of you after I pray before we get into the word. Okay. So let's pray together. Lord, help us this morning. We, we are, we are tempered and affected 
not just by what is coming, even for us who have vacations to look forward to. Some of us don't have that. We're mad at the other people in the room. We need help with that. Um, Lord, we, we, we are distracted and often um, unable to really engage. Lord, I pray we, we need this morning from your Holy Spirit. We need you to awaken in us something that, that lies dormant that really we can't awaken without your help. And so as we re- read your word this morning, would you, would you awaken something in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's my favor I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask something weird, and I think I need to. I'm going to ask this. I need you to leave some of your baggage at the door this morning. Some of, some of us have adult baggage right? Where, where there's this thing we used to do when we were kids. I think about being like nine or 10, being at a sleepover at a friend's house, someplace real safe, someplace real quiet, and being able to actually speak the things my heart dared to dream, the, the things that my heart actually dared to imagine might something that, that was so wonderful. It was, it was kind of like embarrassing to talk about. And so you wouldn't talk about it with just anybody. And so what happens as we uh, get into our adult formation is that we, we become smarter and we become wiser and we become learned. And so we, we, we know that such, such dreaming is silly. And so what I'm asking this morning is to say we, we need to recapture some of our childlikeness. You know, anything about Paul where he says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, right? I left behind childish ways, and yet Jesus says, we don't want to be childish, but we do want to be childlike, and we're going to need that. What we're about to look at is so wonderful, some of you won't believe it. You will refuse yourself the pleasure because it will be too painful for you. And I'm saying, let's, let's leave that at the door. C.S. Lewis talks about this. He's a faithful guide to us in longing. He talks about this in Great Divorce. It's, a, it's an offense to us, this kind of wonderful thing. It makes us uncomfortable. It makes us feel kind of weird. And so my hope is that you'll feel that this morning, the stirring of something beyond what you've seen into what will be. So let's get into Isaiah 65. We're going to start in chapter 17. Some of you might need to take a minute and pray and just say, yeah, I'm that man. I'm cynical. I'm hard. I have um, become somebody who sits with my scalpel as I hear the Bible and hear sermons to carve up, to feel whether it's um, wise enough. And yet what we need is the wisdom of the Holy Spirit that takes us to places we could only imagine right now. And the Lord's taking us there this morning. This is verse 17. We're going to read, and this is chapter 65, 65, 17. We're going to do 17 through 25 to start our time together. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. There uh, no more shall be heard 
in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like in the days uh, of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands." They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain says the Lord. This is the first part of the word of the Lord for us this morning. So this is the new heavens and the new earth. So really what we're going to see is we're going to see what's in the new heavens and the new earth and what is not in the new heavens and the new earth. We're going to start with the negatives. And there seems to be this interesting reality. I was talking to my wife about this this week. It's fascinating when I, when I think about the new heavens and the new earth, when I read Revelation 21, which is a kind of a, a parallel passage here. I think John is, is immersed in Isaiah, by the way. We're preaching John in the fall. And I think John is clearly had spent a lot of his formative years reading Isaiah. And then when God gives him the vision from Revelation, clearly there's connectedness here, right? So there's this beautiful overlap. But when I hear about the new heavens and the new earth, it's striking to my own heart. Um, most of what I think of, and this is this will be betrayal of kind of our, 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 the, the, the era we find ourselves, is what's not present. Right? Like a lot of it's like, oh man, what's not going to be there? I'm excited about that. As opposed, and this is again, part of it's a betrayal of like, man, what is that in me that I need to have? I'm, I'm almost more excited about some of those things being gone than some of the beautiful things that will be there. So the first part this morning is I want us to look at verse 17. For, I, for behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, right? There's, God is recreating. So you go back, this is, this is meant to be parallel language to Genesis 1, the first words of the entire Bible, right? Where he talks about in the beginning God, right? We see this picture where it says it was formless and void, right? And out of this formless and void, God makes form. So you have chaos is the picture. You have this, this kind of just utter nothingness. It's just black and empty and there's nothing. And then there's this orb that's just formless and void. And then God turns this lifeless, formless thing into a life-filled, form-filled thing, right? So he takes without form and makes it have form. And that is what we get here. He's taken this thing that after God created it, it fell right? It fell and then went in back into this chaotic state where there is uh, marks and reminders and echoes and whispers and portraits of God's beauty and God's purposes. His image is still there, but there's, there's a marge to it, right? There's a, there's a fallenness to it. And so what we see is that he is going to undo all the chaos and make these things into the fullness of these things, right? He takes what is old and he makes it new. I create a new heavens and a new earth. And so this is the first thing that we're seeing before we actually get to the new heavens and the new earth is that God is redoing all things. All things will be made new. He's undoing the dead old things and making new things to come. And so if we get nothing this morning, 
part of what we want to see is we have a new heavens and new earth. Listen, your eternity will not be spent floating around in the clouds. You were made to walk on the earth. And you will do that in eternity in perfection. There'll be a new heavens, a new earth, new skies, new ground. The stuff that you love about here will be better and richer and more, and it will be fulfilled. Everything wonderful here is a marker for what will one day be, right? That's why vacation, the practice of vacation, the practice of something we're excited for, right? A birthday, a feast, a celebration, that when we look forward to that and we have this beautiful expectation of that thing coming, it's a right practice, to go, man, there's something, there's something's going to come that like, there's a party and, and, and everyone from the party is not here yet. They're going to come. And when they're here, it's going to be really awesome. And I'm excited about them being here. And so even my expectation of that is a good practice and beautiful part of our experience as it should be. So God is making all things new. And we even see, right? We see in first and second Corinthians, he talks about being new creations. I think about second Corinthians five, right? You are new creations in Christ. You have a new birth. You are born again, right? This is the language of John 3. All this language, right? So here, here's the idea, just a little nugget. We're going to move on. This isn't a, a major theme of this right here, but this picture of you are born again, right, is what John says. You need to be born again into a new creation. Here's the crazy part. When we believe in Jesus, right, we are born into this new reality where we actually become participators of this new heaven and new earth. We become these, like language of, of, of Peter, right? These citizens, right? We have this, this citizenship that we now have in this new reality. Like we already have our residence there. There's a certainty to it. We are born again. And yet we're born again. And yet we know in our bones, there's still some things that aren't quite right. So we're, we're expecting, we are hopeful. Um, dare I say, we need to imagine. We need to think on the things that God gives us to think on, not, not on C.S. Lewis, on the Bible, right? And C.S. Lewis, we'll talk about that in a little bit. It's part of where fiction is an aid to us at times because we get so mired and, and worn into the, the existing order that thinking about marvelous, wonderful eternities, it kind of hurts. It feels silly to speak of. Like when's the last time you sat down with a grown person and just pontificated about the wonder that is to come, about how glorious it will be? Again, I, I remember doing that a lot when I was 10. We lose that as an adult and it's not good. We need to recapture some of that. So, first thing we see is the new creation, right? But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. So we're going to look at what's not there, and then we're going to dive into what's there. So new creation lacks is the first point. New creation lacks. Well, what does it lack? Well, the first thing it lacks is sin. So if you've been coming at all in this series, you will know we have talked about this that humanity has some problems and they're steeped in sin, right? That is, that is kind of the epicenter. It's not about our circumstances that's our problem. Our biggest problem is our sinfulness. And we see in Isaiah 53, right, that all that language, right, about God 
dealing with bearing our iniquities, right? He, he is dealing with our sins so that when this new heavens and the new earth come about, those who are covered in the blood, washed by Jesus, those who follow after Jesus, that language we talked about last week, right? The servants of Yahweh, those who follow Jesus. Last week I said, it's not for believers. It's being a little bit, you know, controversial on purpose to help us wrestle through. It's not about just having an agreement it's about actually following Jesus. For those who follow Jesus, they will be washed in the blood of the suffering servant and they're given this citizenship. So sin is taken away either by Jesus or we saw in Isaiah 63, this language of God is getting the sin out of this world. He is stomping it out. So sin will not be present. So that's not necessarily in our text right here, but he's been building to this. And there's a few sections where he reiterates it because, again, he keeps sprinkling things in there. So the first thing that's not there is sin. I just want to be clear on that. That will not be present, which is really sin can just be summarized as anything that is a, right, a, a rebellion against God's ways. Very general definition, rebellion against God's ways. So, he, God's ways. so, he, so sin is not there. The second thing that's not there is death. Death. When you go to Revelation 21, which I'll go ahead and read a little nugget because it will be a uh, just a travesty if I don't read at least something from this because they're, they're clearly referential. Just a little nugget on how we preach. When we're preaching through a book, we try to emphasize what that book uniquely contributes to the concept we're speaking of so that way it doesn't become a, a sermon on Revelation 21. It's a sermon on Isaiah 65 and Isaiah 66. This is what we're trying to do. So we will supplement with Revelation 21, but there's a lot in Revelation 21 that I will not be covering this morning. This can't be everything about the new heavens and the new earth. It's mo mostly what's emphasized, but there's some things I want to touch on here. So in Revelation 21, 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. There shall be, shall, uh, neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So, so what we see is, is that death is done away with. We also see this language in Isaiah 25. Isaiah 25 specifically says that death will be swallowed up. Isaiah 25, 8. So some of you are, now if you've been paying attention when I read this, there's a little section in here. Uh, look at verse, verse 20. No more shall there be in it an infant who only lives a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die at 100 years old and a sinner shall be 100 years old and be accursed. I think what's happening here is he's making a point to say, listen, we're not going to have this stuff anymore where somebody who's like 25 dies. We're not going to have this stuff anymore when somebody who you know, dies at these young, this is it's not going to be a thing. I think what's happening is he's using the language we know to illustrate, and then he goes on to talk about trees. Do you see that part where he goes on to talk about trees? Look at verse 22. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. Okay, he's using what is known to us to help illustrate the enormity of what we're looking at. So what we're looking at is, is, is that you, know, you, you, you have a, your grandma's house, right? And you go there and there's this tree. And then grandma passes away, and then you, you inherit the house, and what's out front? This tree, right? And then that person who inherits the house, they pass away, and then someone else inherits the house, and what's in front of this, this house? The tree, right? There's this massive tree that's living hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, to the, and you're just going like, there's this thing in our yard that has just always been there and is always going to be there, and it's the tree. Right? He's making a point about the length of things. He's using everyday language to talk about how long the duration will be, that there, is, there aren't going to be these little fleeting moments, that it's going to be these long, 
beautiful days where we don't have to worry about things passing on because the old things are going to pass away. The things that need to be removed, sin, death. The next thing that is removed is tears. Interesting about this in particular, these different passages that we see, tears seems to be this re-emphasized. We saw it in Revelation. We see it numerous times in Isaiah. Look at verse 19. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Right? The point there is it's so good in this place that there, there won't even be reason to cry anymore. Tears will be done away with. You have sin, which is really at the epicenter of all these problems of humanity. So when you have sin, right, sin leads to death. Death is also removed. So now we're talking about kind of the consequence of if you remove sin and you remove death, well, what do you remove? Well, you remove tears. You, meet, you, you remove cries of anguish. I think about my own home. When I'm sitting in my home without all of my lovely children and there's no cries of distress, I'll even sit there and every now and then you'll hear a sound and you go, nope, it's a cat. Nope, not a cry of distress. They're all at the babysitter's house. They're all at Tia's house. It's like, ah, it's a picture of the new heavens and the new earth. You hear that, honey? She goes, no. And I go, me neither. There's no more cries of distress. So we have sin is gone. We have death is gone. We have animosity, right? Look at verse 24 and 25. Well, verse 25 in particular. We heard this earlier in Isaiah, Isaiah 11. This picture of the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. Now, this is kind of like weird, cutesy language to us. But the reality of like, think about this. You have those who are natural born enemies is the picture. These two creatures that literally in their instincts are like one of them is sandwich for someone else, right? It is a lamb chop to the wolf, right? It's like all those cartoons where the, you know, I think about Madagascar, right? Where he, he, <laughs> he's fed all the food at the zoo and he's in Manhattan. And then he gets into Madagascar and he's hanging out with his friends, who's a zebra. And then he gets hungry enough. And he's like, huh, you look like a steak to me, right? So if you haven't seen it, it's a great little flick, right? Well, all of that's removed. The animosity, the death, the, 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 the one creature being another creature, the, the angst we have against each other is removed. Imagine living in a place where there is no more animosity or competition, meaning you need to best someone else. You need to beat them out at something. You need to even beat them out uh, for the affection of God or the affection of someone else or the affection of your boss. All of that's removed. You've already been given all of that in the gospel of Christ, that you don't have to win anything else that's already been won on your behalf, that you can now be in the new heavens and the new earth and have your neighbor next to you and not wonder if they're going to encroach on your lawn or you on theirs, right? Animosity, this competitiveness against each other is removed. So we have sin removed, we have death removed, we have tears removed, we have 
animosity removed. And then we have this interesting last one. So there's going to be five aspects of each. Toil. Toil. I'm wording it that way in particular because it'll be important when we get to the second part. Toil. Look at verse 22. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of people be, and my chosen people shall long enjoy the work of their hands. So, so no more will they be in heaven. Like, you know, when you're, when you're working on a project, right? You're doing this job, you're making this cake, you're making this house, you're doing something, and you go, it's like you're doing a jigsaw puzzle, and you go to put that last piece in place, and you what? You can't find the last piece, right? That is toil, right? Where you're laboring and you're laboring and it just doesn't quite come out like it's supposed to because you ran out of glue. You hit your finger with the hammer. You, don't, you lost the last three puzzle pieces. Like, look at my masterpiece. What's that hole? That's the piece that I lost, right? And there's this like, this stuff that just chips and eats at us where it's this toil where we work and work doesn't quite work right? So toil could be defined as work that doesn't quite work. And something is off. And so no longer will that be the case where we labor and somebody else, right, benefits from what we've labored from. This picture of uh, work that doesn't work or work that is like kind of forced upon us, right? Think about the, 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 the nation of Israel who's spent a lot of their history in captivity where they're laboring for the gain of someone else by force, so he's saying no longer will you build houses to have other people inhabit. So recreation lacks sin, death, tears, animosity, and toil. So as we, as we kind of wrap up that little part of it, here's my question. Is that what you're most excited about? If I'm honest, I'm like, you know, you can probably just stop there. I'm, I'm, that's great. No more sin? thing that causes all this angst in my soul. There's no more death. I'm not going to lose people. I'm not going to have to even feel the death in my own bones anymore. The, 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 the wasting away, right? And people laugh at me for that as a 41-year-old. I feel it, right? You feel it working on you. I, I'm excited for those things to be gone. I'm like really excited for those things to be gone. Actually, the way I conceive of my vacations mostly is I just want to not do the stuff that I really have to do most of the time, right? That's my vacation. People are like, oh, what do you want to do on vacation? You want to like go explore, or, like go play mini golf? I'm like, no, uh-uh. I want a lounge chair and I want a beach and I want to babysit, right? We just like, my kids aren't going to drown. Someone else is watching them, <sighs> right? That has been my picture of vacation. But here's the thing. God's doing something even new in me these days where more and more I'm getting excited not for just what's not going to be there, but what is going to be there. Like, I'm excited for vacation, to be at the beach and play with my children. Now, some of you may be like, well, duh. I'm just I'm being honest about where my soul has been many times, being tired and worn out, right? And be able to go and enjoy being together, right? That's, that's something I'm looking forward to. So, recreation lacks those things, sin, death, tears, animosity, toil, but recreation is filled. Recreation is filled with all sorts of things. And what will those things be? And we are going to read 66 
1 and 2, and then we're going to read um, the end of part of the chapter. So read with me. Go to Isaiah 66. We'll come back to some of this because obviously there's some, some beautiful little nuggets in there that we don't want to miss. So we'll come back to some of this. But Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, we'll start there. And then because I'm just, we already have dealt in very much depth, right? So in case you're like, hey, are you just skipping the hard parts? If you've been coming, you know that we have not done that. So we are skipping over those to talk about the beautiful parts as well. So we're going to get to, uh, so let's read 1 and 2, and then we'll hop over to uh, 18 from there. So thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He was humble and contrite in spirit. He who trembles at my word. Hop to 18, 66, 18. Again, I would read this in, in the entirety of when you get a chance. It's, it's interesting how Isaiah jumps back and forth between the judgment of the wicked, the removal of sin, and his provision for those who follow him and the beauty that, that in, in there lies in. Okay, so verse 18. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. And I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish and Pul and Lud, and, uh, who draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away, that they have not heard my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and chariots, in litters and on mules and on dromedary, dromedaries, yeah, dromedaries, and to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain offerings in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord, and some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. Stop right there. Actually, well, no, let's keep reading 22. Uh, for as the new heavens and the new earth that I make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain from the new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath. All flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. So what is new creation, right? What does God's recreated eternity look like? What is it filled with? Well, the preeminent thing that is absolutely full of is God. As, as like, no doiky as that is, right? Right, no, no duh, right? I'm thinking about my vernacular when I was 10. No doiky. You, some of you 90s kids will remember that. I don't even know where that's from, um, right? What will recreation be filled with? It's filled with God. What are you more excited about? What will not be there? Or what will be there? So again, I'm, I'm trying to be honest with my own wrestlings with this. The, the, the show, The Chosen, that I've referenced a few times, I just highly recommend it. But but one of the things I love about this show that that like it it it, it like it hurts me to watch. I'm being just really honest. It hurts me to watch because I see Jesus portrayed on screen, and it's like too wonderful to imagine. That there's this day that's coming where my Jesus that I have thought about all my days 
I will stand before him. Jesus, one that we preach about every week, the one I read about every day, this picture of walking through these gates, and he will be there, and I get to be with him. And so do you, and I don't have to worry about who gets time with him. We will have all the time to be with him. It hurts to think about. I, 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 I think about my own baggage that I have to leave at the door. I love you, Eden. And the tears I'm crying are good tears. But there's an ache. There's this scene in one of the movies, and one of the shows, The Chosen, where Peter is called. And he's been this jerk the entire episode. And they call him. And there's this moment, I can't, I can't watch it. Where he hits his knees at the end and he says, we've waited for you our whole lives. And Peter in the scene is the guy who's about my age. There's coming a day in the new heavens and the new earth where the waiting will be gone. And we have to cultivate this thing where we have to wait with joy. But he will be there. Our Jesus. He will be there. And we get to be with him. And he's not going to be like, oh, guys, get away from me. He's going to say, hey, come on. He came for us. And he's preparing our place. So what is the recreation filled with? It's filled with him. We could stop there, but God doesn't. God could just paint this picture of like, look, you just get to be with me, and that would be enough. But God's mercy and his kindness is so wonderful, right? So the first thing that was there is God. The second thing that's there that we just read about is his servants. Hopefully I won't cry every point. God will be there. And some of you older saints in this room, and some of you younger, you're real excited for who else is going to be there. And you should be. As I'm getting older, I understand this more. As you lose those that you love. There's this passage, I actually can't even remember where it is right now, but where God says, He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And as you age, and you see this thing, death, that we have to deal with now, as you see it coming for you, it can be a thing of terror, or it can be a thing of going, hey, I know. I know what's to come. And so there will come an hour, and there will come a day where I will not be in this state anymore, and there is something that awaits, a someone, and all of his followers that I will be united to. So we see God there, and we see God's servant, which we have the Israelites, and we have the nations. This picture here, this, one of the reasons I read it is this picture of, of all of these different people coming from all of these different parts. You know what's kind of funny, too, is I read these, these, these names of these places like I knew what they were. Nobody knows what those are. 
Pull and Lud, they're like, we're not sure what this is. I'm like, okay, well, if the Hebrew scholars like, I don't know what that is, right? Those like are places beyond what they even know. It's like from the all of the nether parts of this world, there are people and they're like, I haven't even heard of your country. And they're like, that's right, you didn't, but God knew. So God will be there. God's servants will be there. God's glory will be there. The way Revelation says this is there won't even be sun or moon or stars. There will be nothing to compete with the the lovely, shining warmth of who God is that we won't need any other source of light because all of those sources are diminished. They're only mere reflections of the true source. And once the true source is here, we won't need those other sources anymore that we will have him in front of us. Now, does that mean that we won't have like constellations anymore? I'm not totally sure. Is that his point? I don't think it is. I think his point is, is the magnificence and the strength and the wonder that you find when you stare at the sun and you're like, wow. He goes, yeah, that, nothing. Nothing. You will have the source of all life and all light and all warmth and you will gaze upon nothing else. You won't wake up in the morning and go, did you see the beautiful sunrise? You'll wake up in the morning and you'll go, have you seen Jesus today? How lovely is his countenance. Think of that. I love, one of my favorite things in all of creation is a sunrise in the New River Valley. I will not even miss those because of how wondrous the the beauty and the loveliness of the Son of God is. Think about that. Imagine having Jesus walk by and the way that you gaze upon a sunrise, you're going to go, look, it's Jesus. And I hung out with him yesterday. Look at him. That's our king. Part of that is like you can't even imagine, right? We have the cheesy song that we've all heard nine gajillion times on every station. I can only imagine what it will be like. Right. The reason we love the song is because, you know, he's got a point. God will be there. God's servants will be there. God's glory, meaning his fame and his fullness and his wonder and his beauty will be, will be present in ways beyond what you can imagine. But here's what I want to encourage you to attempt to imagine. There's a reason that God gives us the scriptures so that we would actually read them and go, man, what would that be like? Yeah, spend some time there. God's glory. Some other weird things that are be there according to this text, at least one weird thing, is work. You will work in eternity. Huh. They're building things. They're laboring. Now, they're not toiling. I'm, I'm kind of a synthetic definitions here. So, so toil is work that doesn't work. But work that works, we're going to do, right? How many of you have ever embarked on a crossword puzzle and you did have the last piece? And you put it in and you go, oh, yeah, that's right. Ten hours, nine gajillion pieces. Have you seen the box? Look at this. Nine thousand piece puzzle. Crushed it. Done. And then, you know, my wife, she, she's a cross, or not a crossword. She does that too. Uh, jigsaw puzzler. And then it'll be finished. I'm like, all right, can I clean this up? She's like, no, no. And then she'll walk by it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that piece was hard right there. Uh-huh. Mm, mm. Can I clean it up now? No, no, no. Just a couple more hours. And she'll walk by. She'll come in from the beach. 
crushed it. Right? Work that works is has some joy in it because you know why? Because you're built to work. Right? You're gonna run. You're gonna jump. You're gonna sweat. You're gonna just you're gonna get out there and you're gonna run around and you're gonna love it. Right? Some of you aren't quite as physical, right? You're more like, I like computers. There's a labor in that. Right? Well wired, suppose you know, so speak differently. But there will be a work that you are built to do that you will love in eternity. Some of you will have clocks in eternity to work on. Right? Think about some, you know, one of my friends here in the clocks, right? What a joy to just work and go, man, you hear that? Ding, the chime. It works. There's some joy in that. God, God's servants, God's glory, work. You know, I don't feel bad going long today because it's such a fun, good sermon. Right? Work will be there. The last thing, just uh, kind of a, a big encompassing word, is fullness. Fullness. I don't even fully know how to um, nuance this all the way. But you know, when, when that party is wrapping up, that reunion of friends where you get together, you haven't seen each other in some time, and it's been so sweet. And then there's that ache in you where you're going, I got to leave tomorrow. I've got to go. And I can't take you with me. You know, the guy that comes to mind is I have a friend in, in Texas. I remember we, we did multiple years together in seminary. We loaded my van, turned in our Hebrew exam. Not just my van, a 60-foot moving truck filled with old doors to be fully transparent from downtown Dallas. People are like, how do you have doors from Texas? I was like, oh, I found a way. Drove them here, unloaded, lots of doors, and we laid down on the couch. And I was like, oh, finally. Well, I drove him to the airport the next day. And I had been so caught up in... I got Hebrew exams and we got to unload the truck and we got all the stuff and I don't want to break my car and I don't, you know, I got some towing car behind my 60-foot trailer and I get there and oh, oh, finally we rested. Okay, well, I'm driving him to the airport and it starts to dawn on me. Wait a minute. I've done every single day with you for two years. I'm going to drop you at the airport and life will be different. I love him. He loves me. But it's different. Every day we were together. Now, the future had some other beautiful things, right? I got to be here. I love it here. And you all know what I'm talking about. There are these things where these people where it's like, you know, yeah, the next stage is coming. There's coming a day where those moments where I leave and I'm looking in the rear view and I'm crying because I will not be doing life with him anymore. Those days are going to be gone. I will have all of eternity to sort this out with them. This is why our relationships are so important, is that they are meant to last literally forever. It's full. You will feel no hunger anymore, right? We will have all that we can eat, and we won't overeat. We'll have enough. We will have fullness of stomachs, fullness of laughter, fullness of joy. Go back to 65, 17. This is kind of how he starts. Really, verse 18. 
Uh, well, I'll read 17 because it says the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. I don't think what he means by that is that we are never going to remember uh, the good stuff and the beautiful things. What he means is, look at what he goes to right after that. Look at verse 17. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create a new Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem. There will be no more weeping. His point isn't that we forget all the good. His point is, is that all that stuff that you're like, well, uh, I have this trauma from my past that I can't escape. All of that will be done away with. All of the things that you and I are trying to overcome and avoid and dodge, all of these, the baggage that we bring in here and the, and the wounds that we bear from these, from these different like abuses and, and sins that have happened to us, we will be able to actually, for the first time, be able to set those things aside fully and laugh and rejoice with a laughter that you don't have to restrain or hold back because you're going to look stupid or, or, or even that you can't fully experience because you're like, well, I want this to be joyous, but I can't really go there because of all this trash I've dealt with in my life. He's going to remove your inability to experience the fullness of joy. Think about that. He's going to remove your inability to experience the fullness of joy, to laugh in full joy. This is a little test for you. When's the last time where you were overcome with laughter? You got the giggles. And just just full. Just good. Kind of unrestrained. Or, or, or has, that, has it been a while? I think it's a good, that's a good joy meter. Like I think it's something we, should, we need to experience to remember, like, man, there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo. It's worth fighting for. The little movie called Lord of the Rings. If you haven't seen it, get out from under the rock you're in. Okay. So, application. I'm going long. Deal with it. Okay, here we go. Application. First one is this. Walk through the gates of Zion. Has two two features for it. First is you need to you need to follow Jesus. Follow him. This is what he wants for all of humanity, that you would come through the gates of Zion, that you would stand before him and all the joy and delight and wonder that he is offering. He wants that for you. Believe, follow, whatever words you need to use. Give yourself over to this glorious king. He has designed you to be in this forever but not everyone will be because some people hear me. This is going to be a really interesting point if I don't say so myself. Some of us have decided that we want to put all our chips in the pleasures we get now. And there is a reason he says the things of this world are passing away. This is strange where we said, no, my sexuality, my pleasure my whatever here is going to be the thing that I'm going to really stake it in. And God's saying, you have the freedom to do that, but I am pleading with you not to. All of life is not found on your vacation. There's some good there. There's some beauty there. Delight in that. But don't overdo the pleasures of this world because you have to milk everything out from that. Because the people who do that and who put all their chips in the camp of, I've got to get what I want now and you're not going to tell me otherwise, those people will not be found in Zion. So please follow Jesus. 
trust what he says is good. And we actually will get to see the fullness and the fruit of this goodness. Why would I, why would I wait till I'm married to have sex? Why? Because we're saying there's something more. Not just sex and marriage, but beyond. Why would I believe in God's portrait of marriage? Why would I do that? Because he's saying it's not just about that. It's about a portrait of what is beyond. There's more than just what we see. And we have to trust him that he has an eternal consequence and plan for all of these things. It's not just God being a meanie. But he has good and beautiful purposes in all of his design. So, first part is follow Jesus. Second part is take a tour. Any of you do that like homes thing where you click on the link and you like go and like look at houses online? You like do that like Facebook stalking of houses basically? You're like, oh, look at the kitchen. Oh, I like that color in the bedroom. Oh, I would never do that in the nursery. Mm-mm. Right? Anyone else do that? Well, once you, you know, get older and you, you know, as you know, you look at houses, this is what I want you to do with Zion. God gives us this to do that. Go into the Zillow of Zion, which is God's word. It's a little cheesy. Go with it. Right? Walk the streets. But here's the thing. The the scriptures are better than Zillow because here's the thing. Zillow, everything is manicured and photoshopped. And you're like, wait a second. Online, this living room looked like it was about 20 by 1,000. And it's really about 10 by 10. What's the deal? And here we get through a glass dimly, uh, Corinthians 13 says. And it'll be much more glorious. So we should walk the halls of Zion, of the new heavens and the new earth, and anticipate, man, what's my room going to look like? So take a tour. The second is this, and I'll, I'll close with this. What does it look like to live in expectation? To not become these, man, I got to wait. But going like, man, do you know what's coming? I got a lot of resilience because, man, I know what's coming. Right, that's who we're to be. I'm, I'm speaking that out. I'm, I'm not there yet, but that's who we're to be. I want to have a lot of resilience. Often I'm like, you know, I get my stub my toe and I'm like, all right, I'm out. I'm out. This is too hard. Right? But he, he's, he's trying to invite us into like, yeah, we, there will be a, a thick skinness to go, yeah, it's better than we can even imagine, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to imagine a lot. Right? About what's to come. Ah. <sighs> Sorry for the grace. I know I went long. Neil, I have to cut a song or two or something. I'll pray. Live streamers, thank you. All right, let's pray. Lord, Lord, we praise you. We praise you that you have designed an eternity for us and that we can be expectant and excited and, and, and our, our current reality is affected by what is to come and we praise you for that. Would we spend some time in the new heavens, in the new earth, as we look in your word, would we think on what is to come? Would we take a tour? Lord, we pray that this morning has been that in some form. And Lord, would, we're, would there be many other ways as we spend time in your word that we experience and see of what is to come? Help us. Spirit, guide us as we get into your word throughout this week and, and the weeks to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.